A random encounter at a broadcasting facility. A shared interest and love of all things Marvel. Excelsior! A misinterpreted program title. And behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick. Podcaster and comic book enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson! Upstate New York radio announcer still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter, what are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick, and Eddie Wilson is still being a war prisoner in Latveria once again. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode and talking about Hawkeye, the finale, on this here bonus or whatever kind of show it is, it's a regular program, but whatever, called Taking a Shot, a Hawkeye podcast, we want to tell you all at home how you can get hold of us on them, our social medias. Go on Twitter, Instagram, at The Marvelists. Facebook can go to hell. Find us individually on social media, myself, at Peter Melnick, on Twitter and Instagram. Eddie's also on uh, Facebook. Uh, terrible site, but whatever. Find the Eddie Wilson with the sunglasses. And then Eddie is on Instagram, Eddie9193. 9193. Just want to get it out there because I botched it last week. Anyway, you can also find us on a wide variety of streaming platforms TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Spotify, iHeartRadio, among many other places where you can wrangle an RSS feed. You can also find us on iTunes, rate, review, subscribe, share, five star if you're ever so inclined. Tell the sh- people you love this show, spread the word like Nutella, and just let people know about this show. You can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash themarvelists. And for as little as $3 a month to as much as the amount that Eddie Wilson hates, because whenever I use that phrase, he always gets his jimmies rustled, and he's just like, why are you doing... You can anyway support the show, like I said. In the $3 tier, you get early access to episodes, as well as our undying love, gratitude, and affection. $5 gets you two bonus shows in addition to the early tier uh perks the two shows are the fantastic voyage where myself and eddie wilson talk about all 102 issues plus tie-ins plus crossovers plus spin-offs what have you of stan lee and jack kirby's iconic legendary and even fantastic run of the fantastic four in the month of december we're going to be deviating momentarily from the stan and jack run and talking about a random issue from the george perez run of the title with George being a prevalent figure in comic news at the moment due to the most recent pancreatic cancer diagnosis, we thought we would pay tribute to the legendary body of work from George. And we're going to be doing that throughout the year, just, you know, random little things to show some love to a legendary creator. Anyway, we also have another uh, spinoff show called You Haven't Read That, where Eddie Wilson reads things he's never read before. And, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, one of those books... Eddie can read during that, hopefully could be Crisis on Infinite Earths, the Marv, uh, Marv Wolfman, George Perez classic. That could be our February episode. Because what doesn't say, what says true love and romance in the month of February? Like, just the end of every single thing in the world, right? Exactly. Anyway, like I said, $5 gets you that tier. And then if you go as much as you want to go, 
You get undying love, gratitude, and affection, and a shoulder massage from me, consent willing. You can also be able to check us out at belowthecollar.com slash themarvelists and get our Dad Joke Immune t-shirt. Because God willing, if you've made it this far, you are in fact Dad Joke Immune. Now on this episode, we are joined once again. If you listen to our Spider-Man No Way Home episode... First off, if you listen to it without watching the movie, you're an idiot. But second of all, if you've listened to that episode and you watched the movie or didn't watch the movie, you got to hear us being joined on the other end of the what have you in string, whatever we're trying to figure out. It's We're making it sound like we're in person, but we're not. I'm at my house. He's at his. Magic, right? Anyway, we are joined with Ryan Michael Toon, the voiceover actor and all good stuff. He was a delight to have on the episode before, and I said, Ryan... I want to bring you back on again for Hawk Guy. And he said, yeah, absolutely. It was a blast to be on the previous time, and I'd love to do it again. And it's funny because when I offered Ryan the spot years ago, we were just trying to figure out times, hey, let's figure something out to get you on. And within the course of a week, you're on twice. Yeah. <laughs> it's great to be back, bro. And man, let me tell you, um, this show has been everything I wanted and I think that's the perfect Christmas gift on top of uh, No Way Home for us Marvel fans. One hell of a Marvel week for sure. Dude, I am in disbelief that this show ended the way it did because I was very apprehensive. There was a lot of stuff going on with how this was going to end. I wasn't sure. And let's talk about, once again, the elephant in the room. <sighs> It's big boy season, and now it's no longer big boy season because our big boy, Wilson Fisk, got shot in the head. Yeah. man, That was they, fast. <laughs> they raised our hopes only to possibly dash them. I mean, I, I'm, I was in such disbelief. I just stuttered, said a bunch of things like, no, nah, he can't be dead. They can't do that. They'll, they'll piss too many people off. I, I was in disbelief, and I think you were the same way, right? I... <laughs> I literally said, no, no, no. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that, you know, kind of uh, encapsulates how I felt about that uh, twist ending. But I know we both did our research immediately after to find out um, there there might be hope. There might be a, a story thread they're pulling uh, where the kingpin uh, survives a close range encounter. Um, so we'll have to see. I think it would be... <laughs> wow, uh, what a, what a what a cruel twist of fate if they give us the Vincent D'Onofrio in the MCU. If he's not the same kingpin, I mean, he's playing it close enough where it might as well be. And you know, for those doubters, those are the same cufflinks. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think we're just doing what I said before is uh, we're just going to get this glazed over. We hope you saw the Netflix show. But we're not going to make it required viewing because um, those are the same cufflinks as an Easter egg because that hurts no one. That lets you know if you did watch the Netflix show, it is the same guy. Well, one so. of the things about <laughs> him, did he have a twitch in his left eye in the, the uh, Netflix shows? Uh, you know, not as prominent as he did here for damn yeah. sure. Uh, if he did, uh, it was definitely... If that was just um, uh, Vincent's choice to show his... Uh, sternness 
with a bishop that he, you know, he's already on the edge of his seat before the meeting. Like, why? I've called a boss into an office before, and that was the wrong move. Uh, you know, it was about a dumb issue, and there was a twist. <laughs> I, I feel like it was the same look. Like, are you bothering me with this shit? And, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I think that might have just been annoyance. Um, but it was definitely twice in that scene. Uh, his, his left eye made me scared for her safety. So. And there was a lot of stuff like that in this episode that really got me. And the other thing about it that made me laugh with him was... we. So let's just talk about, first off, him getting shot in the face. And he got shot by Maya Echo. <laughs> and man, like, when that happened, like I said, I was visibly upset. But then I looked on social media. I looked over at uh, Reddit. I looked over on Facebook, Twitter. I'm looking around, and I'm not seeing people really pissed. Although some were like, really? You're going to do that? But then people were pulling pages of comics out. And they were pulling pages of comics out, also referring to one of his costumes in this episode, which really, really got me. But before we get to that, they were showing this page where Maya Echo shoots him in the face, and then the next issue, he comes back basically you know being a human fly here with the two patches over his eyes and he's blind so you better stop yelling you know he's just blind damn it um but <laughs> he's got the patches and what a lot of us are thinking if this is the case if they are going to adapt the source material in such a way we're going to be getting a blind kingpin at least in one eye and He's not really doing wonders for himself, being bald and having one eye, you know, just the big head. I'm making a penis joke, ladies and gentlemen, um, but <laughs> I I don't know. Well, oh, boy, you know, making penis jokes for a finale of a Disney Plus show. Come on, no, man, that joke's below the belt. We wouldn't be, we, we're not the kind of show to make those kind of jokes in a final episode. Lloyd Boner, or whatever his name was. But <laughs> Oh, yeah, right. Oh, you should have been there for the WandaVision finale. That was a fun one. Just making nothing but penis jokes over and over and over. <laughs> anyway, like I was saying, in regards to the potential blindness, that's a hell of a twist because you then can utilize him in the villainous way, make him be this, you know, evil monster. And now he's, you know, limited one eye and he's even more vengeful than he ever was before. Second of all, if you do that, you do remove an element of D'Onofrio's Kingpin that is a big part of Kingpin's, you know, character that unfortunately I was noticing you can't really do anymore because he's getting older. The man is 62 years old for a heads up about Mr. D'Onofrio. Mr. D'Onofrio, you know, yeah, you can do stunt doubles and all that stuff, but you can only go so far with the physicality of the character. And it got me thinking, they might be doing that to kind of, you know, hey, now he's handicapped, you can't really do much with him, but you can still have him be this imposing, villainous character, which, in my opinion, guess who you can bring in now? Bullseye, baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think... Um it will be curious to see how they play it because uh, after watching No Way Home, uh, I was certainly waiting, salivating, not waiting, uh, anxiously salivating for the street level crime movie that is going to be 
Uh, the Kingpin is out of control. He's back in Spider-Man's universe. Um, cause I know that's a big thing for you. You always like, um, acknowledging that, you know, though he is famous for being Daredevil, this is a Spider-Man villain at his core. So bring him back to Spider-Man and then you're going to have, uh, Peter go, I need help. Who can I turn to? Well, that lawyer was really nice. And, you know, we're going to have a, I was dreaming of a Marvel Knights movie where we were going to see Peter and Daredevil team up to take down the Kingpin. And I I guess we can still have that. Um, there'll be a lot different. Who knows what Echo is going to be about now? Um, we know she's going to have her own show. Is she going to be taking over for the Kingpin? And he's kind of just sitting there disabled, almost like a, a tangible Dexter's father. Uh, you know, where he's giving almost like advice to her, but he, he's sitting there to, uh, blind now and he doesn't he can't get around. So she's taking care of him almost like in a misery fashion. Um, so then you get D'Onofrio, you get the acting and you don't have to worry about the physicality. Yeah. So I do think that's a great, um, you know, that would be cool. Uh, well, let's see. I think they leaned into um, the impair the hearing impairment a lot this season. So if they take Echo's show and they lean into it, obviously it's going to deal with that as well because it's Echo. But if they also bring in um, being visually impaired, you know, that will, I think, be crazy good for the community and show that, you know, everyone can make a difference. Everyone uh, can change the world, uh, all that jazz. And kids need that because I think there's going to be a kid growing up that, you know, a blind kid can always look up the Daredevil. But now there's going to be deaf kids that are signing. Um, I know they said the signing classes at schools and stuff interest went up where you know little kids went to see the movies and now they're they're joining the the signing club at their local schools so it's it's really cool let's let's turn kingpin's disability into a positive message (laughs) and one of the things in regards to some of these characters um again going back over to d'onofrio's kingpin i love the deep cuts marvel does with these characters from time to time and the biggest deep cut in recent memory was Kingpin's outfit in the second half of this episode. And I actually got somebody mad at me on Twitter saying you spoiled it within 24 hours. It's It, it just reminds me of that uh, one bit from Seinfeld where George's father is at the dinner table and he's like, I don't want to know about it. I, I want to go in blind. I want to go in fresh. <laughs> but sorry, I'm, you know, it's literally just the character walking in wearing an outfit. It's not really pertinent to the plot. And what I remarked was his outfit in the episode reminded me of the guy on The Simpsons in the Cayman Islands. Oh, crap. I shouldn't have said he was a client. Oh, crap. I shouldn't have said it was a secret. Oh, crap. Ah, <laughs> it's too hot today. That's who he reminded me of 100%. And somebody says back, well, <laughs> why'd you spoil it? I'm like, I really spoiled for you that, you know, D'Onofrio's Kingpin is a customer at casual mail XL during the summer months. I really doubt that's like that big of a deal. Like that is that a surprise to you that, you know, Kingpin goes to casual mail XL. Oh, I would like a pair of shoes like that. I would like some you people to kill or, the king, yeah. or the the Daredevil of Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> some people are definitely spoiler sensitive. I know you could have said, uh oh he's giving me strong um Oh, wow. Spacing on his name. Marlon Brando vibes because of his, uh, you know, weight and baldness. And, oh, you're ruining it. Don't ruin it for me. So it's one of those uh, things. Like, I I understand, though, but it's like it's just the cosmetic look of it, which, by the way, that costume, the uh, you know, I also in the back of my mind was calling him Panama Kingpin. It's basically the Spider-Man family business 
version of Kingpin where he's wearing that exact outfit on the cover of that original graphic novel by Mark Wade and James Robinson. Oh yeah. 100% uh, paying homage to that. And it's a, uh, it's an interesting look and it's an iconic look. I don't know. I'm glad they went with the original one first. That's all I'm going to say. I'm glad they went with the, the more classic. Um, I don't think he was wearing an ascot, but you know, um, I'm glad they went with that more classic black and white look first. Uh, and then I think the family business one was cool. And then they what, they even added some uh, little flavor, I think, to the scene where his office had like Hawaiian tiki lights and stuff. Uh, <laughs> there, there, there was more Hawaiian than just his shirt going on, I remember. I really love Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just thought, you know, that visual interpretation of D'Onofrio's Kingpin knocked it out of the park. And I am very hopeful that he will return. He's got to. And I had a conversation with a friend, that, um, friend of the show, Nick Wells. He remarked, well, he'll probably still find a way to spoil it for everybody by, you know, liking somebody going, oh, looking forward to seeing you in Spider-Man 4. So who knows? <laughs> but let's get into the meat and potatoes of the episode in general. But like, once again, I got a real big kick out of this episode. I enjoyed it. It was it was a good finale. There were moments um, where I was kind of scratching my head, uh, maybe a little too over the top at times, but this was a show that was grounded about superheroes, um, for a lot of it, considering we're talking about a guy that can, you know, hang with these gods and superheroes by his archery skills. So they finally showed the over topness of it, his trick arrows, um, what did you think? What did, before I tell you what did I what I thought, Peter? What did you what did that scene remind you of when they were building their arrows? See that I'm not sure about, but I was looking at all of the arrows, and I love that they had an elephant dart tranquilizer uh, arrow in there, <laughs> and I'm like, who are you going to be using that against? Like, is it going to be the rhino? Is he coming into the uh, MCU? Is Paul Giamatti finally going to show up? It's PG's time to shine. <laughs> but um, well, I, I was personally getting extremely strong because there was a lot of uh, diehard elements, I think, to this with um, him constantly bandaging himself. Um, so this reminded me because a lot of people say Home Alone is diehard for kids. <laughs> that reminded me of Home Alone. That I... seemed like we had Kate, Kate and um, Clint you know, making their little uh, crayon master plan of what arrows they're going to bring with them. So Let's be honest, that is 100% that, because this show is all about the homages and references to the holiday season, and... Yes. Ah, oh, man. We, on our uh, last episode of this, episode five, talking uh, about episode five of the show, we, you know, Eddie and myself had talked about speculating what songs they would utilize, and we were both completely wrong on what they would use. But man, the ones they did use were stellar. Like, I did not expect to hear Sinatra playing for the credits, but here we are. Right. Uh, Christmas in Hollis by Run DMC was uh, not only used in the show, but once again, is the Christmas song played in the limo of Die Hard. So um, for anyone that doubts that Christmas, uh, Die Hard is a Christmas movie, you know, Marvel is confirming it is. So um and, and as long as we're going to talk about those Christmas Easter eggs, uh, since I, you know, I'm just j jumping on the finale episode, I wanted to mention uh, we talked about in our pre-talk uh, in episode two, 
the mom does a little wink to the classic film, uh, short TV film, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. She gives uh, Kate a pep talk with the words, come on, Kate, you just got to slow down and put one foot in front of the other. You can hear the actress really strain as she tries to deliver these lines without singing them. It made me laugh my butt off as I replayed it twice just to listen to that slight strain in her voice as she tried so hard not to go one foot in front of the other. So (laughs) I got a big kick out of that. You can tell the people that were working on this show, the writers, the showrunners and everybody having it take place during the holiday season, doing all of what they did with this show they were having a complete blast. And I know for a fact they were probably excited to figure out what references they could make. Like for, you know, previous holiday movies, holiday specials, we technically, you know, in a roundabout way, it's borderline planes, trains, and automobiles, even though that's a Thanksgiving movie, you know? Right. Yes, you're right. And Trying to make our destination on time, a reluctant partner. You're, yeah, that's a That's a good call. And there's... So many different things about this show that got me really excited. And the fact that somebody not only survived, but became a good guy the entire time we knew they were. But like some people out there Mm -hmm. were like, I really don't want something to happen. (laughs) My boy Jack is a good guy. And Uh, he is certainly a good guy because he made fun of a child for peeing his pants. But also, just remember, life is fast. You never know what you're going to get. I absolutely love that character, and I hope they can incorporate him in a future role in the MCU as Swordsman. He needs to come back. Yeah, he was great. I noticed he was fencing left-handed. I was wondering um, when he was when he was fencing Kate, so I didn't know if that was going to be a deep cut. But as we saw in the finale, he's either still holding back in the finale, or he is just left-handed. Um, so that 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 could be a really cool moment because I feel he played it like a mix of. Um, you know, he, he kind of gave me that Amingo Montoya vibes where he was just so damn charming, but a li- just the tad bit simple, just yeah. the, the, the tad bit lovably naive. So, <laughs> and um, so many people, I, I really enjoyed him. So many people wanted to hate his character. And I'm just like, he's kind of arrogant, but I love it. And it's like, it's that lovable rogue kind of character. And the fact, you know, Kate's mother is trying to, you know, put the blame on him, frame him for everything. And then again, I was like, yeah, he didn't do anything. He and he's like he's saying it in a cocky, arrogant way of like, oh, no, I'll be OK. I'll be OK. And he was. But it's also like. Kind of a dick about it, but what are you going to do? But I love he, he, Clint. Clint said it best. Wearing a sword after being cleared for sword murder. That's a that's a weird flex. So, <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> I love, again, the characterization of so many of these characters in the show. Although, you know, I have a friend who is a massive fan of the Young Avengers. And, you know, she pointed out she doesn't like the portrayal of Kate in this show because she's too much of, you know, a fangirl kind of character. She's not that, you know, quick witted, really happy, not happy go lucky, but like, you know, confident character as she is in the source material and i get that but now like she's going to come into her own you know after that after that scene involving yelena in the previous episode and then now this episode with uh you know yelena and hawkeye i loved it i thought you know 
these characters are are so strong on their own with this, you know, this series, you know? Oh yeah. I I love the character development um that was everywhere. Uh I didn't expect so much of it. I didn't expect to see Kazi have his own little uh power struggle and try to get rid of the father and date his daughter. Um I did not see um, so much. I want to say, uh, I had to Google his name is, uh, Tomas. Tomas is my favorite, uh, Traxu Mafia guy right now. He comes up to Kate to let him know the advice worked, bro. My girlfriend forgave me. Uh, I just thought that was one of my favorite moments of the finale when she goes, but you're, you're still going to shoot me. And he's about to, <laughs> well, I got it. And she just takes him out immediately. I, I cracked up. That was probably my, one of my favorite moments. My favorite moment of the entire episode was Kate, you know, as she's using that little, uh, the rope to go down the building like Yelena had. Was it Yelena or was it uh, Clint that went down the building? It was Yelena, right? Yeah, it was Elena. She she straight went all uh, Batman 66 where they flip the camera and it looks like she's just running straight down. (laughs) But. And then you watch her fall down the building in Rockefeller Center, screaming, ah, because that's, you know, obviously, thanks to you, ladies and gentlemen, that's how people scream. But, you know, she's going down, and it got a kick out of me, because as she's going down, you see people walking by, just paying no attention to a person falling out of a building. It is the most New York City thing I've ever seen. I've seen so much weird and crazy shit happen in New York City over my many visits to New York. And I just love the New York City attitude of, I don't give a shit. And just, I gotta <laughs> go to point, from point A to point B, I really don't care. Let's just keep going. Oh, a person's falling I, out of the building? I don't care. I want to go get a bagel. Right. They're, I hope they don't die, get in my way, and then they have to close the street. Yeah, I, I love that. And... <laughs> It it got a it got a stupid big belly laugh out of me for like for that. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, that's that's kinda perfect. But it got a belly laugh for me for the that was one of the more over top things for me where I was like, Alright, I'll believe in the I'll just believe in the Marvel magic and let's move along because she basically from my from what I <laughs> I watched it twice to make sure, she basically took her bolo that she fired at uh Elena's hand. And just wrapped it around the string. Uh, there was no uh, device. There was no uh, fulcrum or, you know, anything to tighten or really support her weight. So she basically just ran down a rope with another rope wrapped around it and somehow was able to tighten it and slow her descend as she got closer. So that was the moment for me where I, I saw her start to lean out the window with just a bolo wrapped around a string going, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> Again, I know she's going to survive, but it felt for me like a moment of always sunny where you could see the other guys look at Charlie go, Charlie, that's not a good idea. And he gets very, very hurt. <laughs> so I, I, I'm glad uh, Kate survived and landed on her feet, almost mirroring the the three point landing of the Black Widows. But um, for me, I I I I'm glad they injected the Marvel magic because for a minute I thought Kate Bishop was about to bite it hard, or maybe fall into the wrong window or something. So one of the things about this episode that also really got me was the fact of the section of the episode where Clint is in a tree with an owl. And <laughs> yes, I would love to have been there to see like, you know, watching that tree fall in person 
in, you know, Rockefeller Center, like how loud of a, you know, reaction that would be and all that stuff, because that is a visual that only in a Marvel movie, only in a Marvel show, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I'll tell you, that was another one for me where it just dis- dispended uh, uh, the reality of the show just for a second, because I've never been, I've seen the tree, you know, a lot growing up and I've never ever been there without a really strong NYPD presence. So the fact that they were able to take down a tree with no police getting involved. Meanwhile, when Kate shot down the bell tower, the uh, prison secure, the campus security not only was able to find Kate, they picked the right building. They got to the roof in about uh, under a minute. So the campus security, wherever Kate goes to college, is is apparently better than the NYPD was that day. Because I didn't hear sirens till they were wrapping up uh, the whole Rockefeller scene. But that was one moment where I'm like, okay, if if the tree's coming down, I think more people would start getting involved in what's going on. But um, really cool. It was really funny to see uh, Rocky. I think is his name, uh, make a cameo into the Marvel Universe. Anyone that knows uh, the history of last year, I think it was last year, uh, the Rockefeller Center tree actually did have a baby owl inside. They nicknamed Rocky before he was relocated to uh, a safe haven. So that was uh, funny to see he's an official part of the MCU now. Wait, that was the the actual owl? I, I, I believe it was a CG homage. I believe that was uh, Disney, uh, Marvel's little wink to that event because that is an actual thing that happened last year. That is amazing. Um, I like that. Yeah. So I think that was just a little fun Easter egg uh, to show they're aware of what's going on in reality. And they, they threw that in to be cute. And then, of course, they also threw it in so we could um, <laughs> hilariously carry off three tracksuit mafias to their inevitable death via giant owl. <laughs> that again that might be one of the darkest demises of a character since the guy got smushed in Ant-Man and you know exactly which character I'm talking about the goop guy Ugh. yeah yeah yeah, for all you city kids, uh, as as someone that has grown up in the country um, one thing you learn about owls is they will you will find their bones of their meals near their nests so whatever mice or squirrel whatever they've eaten you will find the bones of that animal nearby so so in the MCU, some in some point in time, there will be tiny tracksuit mafia bones in New York City. So well, that took it, a dark truly, turn. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't write it. I just had to see it and uh, think of the consequences. So, <laughs> oh man, and it's it's one of those things where with this episode, the pacing was off the charts. This was, you know. A fairly long episode, you know, minus the uh, credits. It was about like 50 something minutes and it flew by like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It it, it was a good and it, it had so many great. It was a great episode. I think I just had problems with tiny moments overall. What a great episode. And it did kind of fly by. Um, D'Onofrio made his presence known, but he was only in like two or three scenes. Um, and that did fly by where, especially like we talked about before, no, this can't be the end. I already thought like, no, the episode's over already. And you're going to tell me he might be dead. Like this, this episode flew by. I need more Kingpin. Now this show so. didn't low key it where, you know, we got confirmation of a season two, but 
the way this show is done, do you think we could be getting a season two of Hawkeye down the line? I think we should. I think we should get another season with Kate Bishop taking lead. Uh, it sounded like what we were getting at the end was a passing of the torch to the point where you're coming to meet my family and this is uh, this is a next step and also a changing of the guard because you're gonna you're just gonna be the new Hawkeye now. Uh, instead of being Lady Hawkeye, instead of being Hawkeye Junior, Hawkeye Two, uh, Hawk Eve, uh, Lady Hawk, whatever name she said, let's just just go by Hawkeye. I'm gonna retire. You can be the new Hawkeye. I think that was the implication. So let let's have a season two where she's calling the shots more. If, if that's when your your friends, your fans want to see that um, more confident Kate Bishop taking lead, that's when you can do it in season two, and then. I think post season two, we can see Kate, Yelena, whoever start getting ready, you know, gearing up for Young Avengers, the movie. Do you now do you think Young Avengers is going to be a movie or do you think it's going to be a show? I think it should be a movie. I think that would be the payoff of Disney Plus, because right now it's a one way street where um, Disney Plus is benefiting from the movies uh, I guess with the exception of, I, I guess the first time we're going to see a big payoff for Disney Plus is um, the Multiverse of Madness, when we're going to see the Scarlet Witch, not Wanda, the Scarlet Witch in the movie. So I think that's going to be the first big payoff, but I would like to see it even bigger than that. She's going to be one of the characters, like we tweaked her character, she already existed in the movies. So I think to see Kate Bishop graduate to film is going to be a big deal. I think that'd be really cool. That's something we always wanted to see with Netflix. We always wanted to see with agents of shield and, um, uh, Carter. So I think that would be graduation day for all these characters that we're meeting. Um, again, we met Sam Wilson, but we also met, you know, we met Patriot. I can't remember the, the lad's name right now, but you know, we met, uh, that, that young, that young guy, uh, who was taking care of his grandfather, who was probably going to grow up to be one of the, the Patriots. So, I want to see those kids get to graduate from Disney Plus to the movies. Could and it also be a, a, a their HBO like Disney Plus show? Hell yeah, of course. Um, it could be their Doom Patrol. So I think it could work either way. But I personally would just like to see it be a movie. I love the uh, reaction people have towards we have Doom Patrol and we have titans and more people care for doom patrol than they do titans i love to hear it but um <laughs> i'll of... tell you i i have i i'm biased only because i have not watched titans yet um those characters are so near and dear to my heart um i'm very nervous to watch titans i don't want to see uh jason todd or uh tim drake or any of those characters messed up i was a little more willing to give doom patrol a try and i loved it so yeah, that's all I'll say about that before we go on too big a tangent. <laughs> so now with, you know, the change from TV shows into movies, one of the biggest changes was the decanonization of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., especially today. Because in this episode, right. we got confirmation that Hawkeye's wife is none other than Agent 19, formerly in the comics Bobby Morse, AKA Mockingbird. So pretty cool. Linda Cardinelli is now Mockingbird, and I kind of love seeing that. But there are a massive number of Agents of Shield fans who are mighty pissed off. As a matter of fact, I was on Twitter today, and one of the trending topics was Agents of Shield. I wonder why. 
<laughs> now, I'll, I'll tell you, as a deep cut and a fan of The Marvelous, not only a host, but also a client, um, I was listening to you talk about maybe getting some dinosaurs in the universe, so I would be remiss if I didn't point out, um, you kind of got what you wanted. I don't even know if you know this. Uh, reading here on Wikipedia, uh, Mockingbird was originally introduced as a love interest for Kazar. See, I, was, I thought you were going to say so devil I, dinosaur. I don't know why my brain yeah. went to devil dinosaur. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, no, when you were brought, I know in the previous episode, you, when you brought up the uh, the black market and the dinosaur skull, you're like, oh, does that open up the the, the Lost Lands and the uh, Kazar and the tiger and the panther? can't remember his name. Zebu. Um, Zebu. So, like, I, I knew you had just talked about that. So when I read that, doing the research for Mockingbird, it made me laugh. So Kazar kind of was now brought up. But, yes, it's, we got a Bobby Morse. We don't know if it's Bobby Morse. We just know she's Agent 19, probably, probably a Mockingbird. So, But it just got me when I saw the 19, and I know so many people that were very upset about that, including a friend of the show, Di, from... Uh, a stark contrast you know she informed me she's just like <laughs> and you can fill in the rest of the letters i would like that to one. believe i would like to believe because i really enjoyed um um uh a- andrian pilecki's performance on agents and shield that we can just have two uh probably not that's probably wishful thinking it doesn't seem like in agents of shield she was taking on the the moniker for a set for taking over the moniker for someone uh, it just seemed like that was her title. But I would like to believe, why not? Why can't they both just be Agent Mockingbirds? And, you know, I mean, he said she's uh, this watch belongs to someone that has been out of the game for a while. So why can't we just pretend that she did it and quit in her early 20s? You know, she could have done it many years ago now. She obviously could be in her 40s or 50s. That could be 20 years. And Adrian Pilecki was doing it 10 years ago, so why can't we have two Mockingbirds? I understand why they're upset, but um, I also find it ironic that we acknowledge the Netflix show in the same episode we dismiss the ABC show. Yeah. That, I thought, was kind of weird. What are you going to do, though? That's that's (laughs) the thing overall with this, and with this episode... You know, before we wrap this one up, one of the things that also got me was seeing the stronger character development of Yelena in here. You know, right down to her sentimentality with the whistle. Yeah, that was a cool moment. It it was definitely better than Martha, so. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Why do you say our name? But what I really like about seeing her character is just a kick-ass character and i'm hoping in the coming months with you know what could be next when she comes back because she has to come back again i feel i already feel though the young avengers are pretty bloated in terms of membership because if this is the case we're gonna have hulkling we're gonna have wiccan we are going to have america chavez we are going to have ms marvel who else do we got we got uh yelena that's five people right there alone. Then you have Ironheart. That's six. Who else do we got? Uh, young uh, there was pa- a, the Patriot. a young guy from, yeah, Patriot. And there's got to be a couple more. I feel like there are a couple more still that we have not mentioned. Uh, 
Kate. Kate equals eight. Yeah, Kate herself. <laughs> so I don't I don't know how I feel because like I feel like the Avengers five worked for what it was, whereas at this point we're throwing as many people in here as humanly possible into the stew. Well, what we could easily be doing is you might have to divide that in half um, because what we could be doing is I know we're talking about what teams are we setting up? What team are we setting up? Seems to be the big question. Why does it have to be singular? Yeah. Why can't we be setting up the Thunderbolts slash Dark Avengers, which we can kind of see is happening, as well as the Young Avengers? They might take down each other. Um, you know, we might get a Civil War type two uh, story where you, you're seeing uh, uh, Elena is on the... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where you can see the the new classes um, cra- uh, clashing with each other. So you might see Elena and Bishop on different teams, kind of mirroring the Hawkeye um, Black Widow fight from Civil War. Uh, how hard you are we still going to be friends? Depends how hard you hit me. So we might actually see them on the opposite sides of a team, even though we're kind of assuming they'll team up because they've already created such a great friendship. Again, man, it's going to be such a wild time in the future of the MCU. And I am I love that this year was a jam-packed year to be a fan. Myself, was everything perfect? In my opinion, no. I didn't care for Eternals. I didn't really... I thought Black Widow was okay, and half of the shows were eh. But to be able to experience this stuff, my God, after after the hell year of 2020... I'm excited to see what we can get in the MCU in the very near future as a result of this year, especially. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, in my eyes, Black Widow has already been redeemed a little just by Elena's performance in this because my biggest disappointment was with Black Widow. I wanted to see a spy movie. I wanted to see James Bond starring a woman. I wanted to see her hacking into places. I wanted to see all the cool skills. And I feel like we got a little taste of that at times, but mostly what it was was a mercenary movie. It was not a movie about spies. It was a movie about hired contract killers with fully automatic machine guns without silencers. So I liked her performance sneaking in. Can I take your coat? No. You know, I, I liked the way she was much more of a spy in this one, uh, coming and going without them even knowing what was happening. Who the hell is this? Like, they didn't even know who she was when she showed up. I feel like in the Black Widow movie, they made the presence very known by blowing up the entire street. So I liked I liked it a lot. I liked the Black Widow war a lot more in this film. Uh, I'm sorry, this series than I actually did the film. Well, it's funny, too, by the way, you me- when we mentioned Black Widow, I want to rewind back over to the beginning of the episode talking about D'Onofrio's kingpin. You know, he might be dead, but here's the thing. You can still do something with a character that's dead because look at Black Widow. Yeah. So that yeah, was like... You could have Vanessa. Vanessa can come home and now you can have a female kingpin. So... Yeah. There's so much you can do with this stuff. And once again, I'm excited for the future. But before we go, overall, with this series, I thought Hawkeye knocked it out of the park. It is one of the... It is definitely one of the pleasant surprises in the MCU because I went in with the highest of expectations. Like, you know, I did a, I did a uh, reverse MJ. Expect disappointment. You won't be... You know, whatever that thing she nah. said was. And we're not talking about, you know, curing ass. But um, <laughs> one of the things is I did go in with very high hopes and I'm glad I did. Because this show, 
is everything I've wanted as a Hawkeye fan. And yes, there are actual Hawkeye fans. There are dozens of us, dozens. And before, <laughs> you know, before we end the episode with a bit of a musical uh, interlude, we want to also talk about the musical ending in the uh, mid credit scene. Now uh, that's a segue, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised, but also really glad they did include the entire song. Was it great? Eh. <laughs> but I did love that they they actually made it into a real thing. Yeah. I uh talking about it with friends and family. Um I have some friends that are big in the theater and you know they wanted to see it. They wanted that, you know, we were talking like don't know what the the mediums are these days, but it felt like a DVD extra, you know, something for the bonus disc. So doing it the way they did it saying, you know what, we could tease you more with some post-credit stuff, but instead can't we just say Thank you so much. Here's some bonus footage. Let's just call it a year and thank God most of us made it out alive. You know, can't can't we just take a breath? So I really enjoyed it. And I'd be I have to point out the extreme irony I felt while watching it. In the original Avengers, uh, there's a brilliant scene with Ashley Johnson, uh, actress and, you know, uh, critical role star. She's deleted off uh, most of the movie, and there's a moment at the end where people are like, why is this random actress being interviewed about Captain America? They share a scene where she is Captain America's really only connection with the modern day. He goes out for a day on the town, he leaves his safe bunker, and he just wants to connect with the modern day, and he feels awkward, he doesn't really talk to anyone, and sensing that awkwardness, this waitress comes over and befriends him. They ended up cutting this brilliant scene that really flushes out Cap's uh, character and disconnect with the modern day, even though he chooses to save it, um, which is what a hero does. They cut that whole scene out because they didn't think people would care about a street-level character. When you watch the musical, the first two verses, half the musical number, are street-level characters singing about their experiences during the big Avengers fight. And you can even catch the Ashley Johnson waitress as one of those members dancing in the crowd. So I don't know if they did that on purpose or if that's just a happy accident. They figured, oh, let's just throw everyone, you know, all the costumes we used in Avengers in the scene. But I thought that was a huge nod of, no, the street-level characters are important. The relationship between the people they're saving and the heroes is what makes these movies worth telling. So even though I I don't know if it was on purpose, but hopefully it was because I, I got a kick out of it. I think that waitress character, they've been... She's an she is now considered an Easter egg for the hardcore fans of Marvel's Marvel Cinematic Universe. She's got to be at this point. Yeah. Oh, she's a deleted scene that should not be. You know, in my mind, she's part of the movie. If if I could do a director's cut, I'd put her in a few of more of those deleted. Uh, I would certainly put Hawkeye's. Let's let, let's just minorly throw that in the mix. When they delete the scene from Hawkeye's Avengers movie, he's the one that comes up with the master plan. I know they kind of frame it that way. But they delete a scene that really shows that the reason Loki even comes close to pulling this plan off is Hawkeye. Hawkeye is the Bruce Wayne that can destruct these gods. He's already thought of a way to take down Hulk. He's already thought of a way to take down Captain America and Iron Man. So the reason the Avengers movies work is because of a deleted scene where Hawkeye makes up the whole damn plan. So... Yeah, for me, those those two scenes will always be canon, and I, I would put them back if I could. 
It's kind of funny that Disney never really does director's cuts of these things because they want the uh, main thing to be the final version, which I get that, but I would prefer, like, give people the option for a director's cut. You know, Disney, give people the ability to see these versions in as many ways as humanly possible. You can have your regular version, your theatrical cut, but also give us the other ones. What I'm getting at is, why the hell are you guys still not re-releasing Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, the original version? Just give it to us already, damn it. Anyway, off my soapbox. Yeah. But <laughs> I thought, you know, once again, just this show knocked it out of the park. They did something that I was not pleasantly surprised, but I knew what it was going to be. And when I saw other people be pleasantly surprised, I was happy. And I'm not talking yeah. about Hogan. The the. Sh- <laughs> the show did what it wanted to do. It made Hawkeye fans happy, and I think it made more Hawkeye fans. I think people that were on the fence like him more, and I think people that didn't give a crap, give a crap. So I think it, whatever it did, it upped your Hawkeye fandom, which isn't that the point of watching anything? So it made me like the character more, so I enjoyed it. With this show and WandaVision, they're both examples of shows that take lesser characters, people that you know we really don't care about and make you care about them. Who's left as a character now that, you know, we need to have be a focal point to make us care about them? Oh, wow. That is a tough question. Um, hmm. For me personally, uh, just because he's gotten a jip with his no main characters, I want to see the Hulk universe fleshed out. I know we're going to a little with She-Hulk. But, you know, we're missing out on Doc Samson. We're missing out on Betty. We're missing out on um, Rick Jones. We're, we got a whole universe of the Avengers and the Marvel Universe that we can't touch because of all that uh, movie rights nonsense. So I would just really love to see the Hulk universe fleshed out way more. I feel like the one that I'm really excited, they have to do more stuff with them. I love Black Panther, but... It was the ancillary characters that really helped flesh that movie out. And otherwise, they really haven't been touched on. You know, we don't really have much going on with Shuri. Although Black Panther 2, obviously with the passing of Chadwick Boseman, we're going to be having a more of a focus on the outside characters, which I'm 100% for. I really would love to see more stuff with M'Baku. Because, is it M'Baku or M'Batu? M'Baku. M'Baku. I want to see more with him because he was a character that I really got behind because he's just this big badass that, you know, doesn't take shit and just keeps going and fights. I like that. And I feel like there's a lot you could do with that character, especially, you know, going away from Wakanda and going into the outside world. That would be cool to see. Um, I th- let me see who else. Because I'm like thinking of the teams and thinking of the movies. The Ravagers. Yeah. Yeah, done well. They could give almost any um, area a movie, especially on Earth, because that Elena scene where she blips in and out real fast. I mean, I could watch if they want to make the Cloverfield of Marvel TV shows where we just watch on recorded film what happened to the blip. What what are you going to do when you come back and you're in someone else's house? What are you going to do when your husband's remarried because you've been gone for five years? 
I, I think you have a world of possibilities. How many supervillains are going to be created because they lost their job, they lost their company, they lost their home, they lost their country? You know, like the ramifications of the blip, I think, are endless. And you could just make a TV show about that till freaking the end of time. I'm, I'm, I'm really shocked there isn't a comic book or something exploring those endless possibilities of stories you could do with what changes in five years of half the population missing and coming back. Well, friend of the show, uh, Phil Noir, a uh, wrestler based out of Texas, you know, he tweeted today, he's like, I would love to see them do a show other than, you know, just an X-Files style show with uh, Agent Wu and Darcy, but also a MCU show of what happened during the blip. Like, what was it like oh, during that yeah. time? And that's something I'm like, yeah, I really do want to see that. I think that would be great to see. But just call it the uh, the Marvel Files, the M Files, and you got it. You got yourself a sci-fi show. One of the things that I really was surprised about, you mentioned there hasn't been this, there hasn't been that. One thing that Marvel cut back on this year, and I would imagine it's due to the uncertainty of, hey, we have to cancel everything because you know there might be another shutdown, there might be another this, another that. There were no tie-in comics for the MCU this year. Last time they did one was in 2019. And I want to say that was the uh, one for Endgame, but I'm not 100% sure. But they were canon to the MCU. Actually, no, yeah, the last I'm one sure was Black Widow. it's hard to coordinate right now. The last one was Black oh, Widow. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's very much like, really, you're not going to do that? There are people that will go to their local comic shop because of these movies. Mind you, is it a lot? No, not really. If you're liking this stuff, go to your local comic shop. Like, you, like the um, Matt Dunford over at uh, one of the card companies, I want to say Upper Deck, he was like, he was posting about it on Facebook the other day. He's like, you know, if you really like this Spider-Man guy, there's this place called a comic shop where you can get more and more adventures of these characters. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you really can. And it's funny because on my end, I'm on a massive Spider-Man kick again. Surprise, surprise. But I'm like... I'm reading Spider-Man from the very beginning because I haven't done that in years. And I'm going through the Steve Ditko run and enjoying the hell out of it and remembering, like, the last time I read some of these things was back in, I want to say, 2011, 2012. And I haven't really read them since. I read them all. I binge read and I got up to, I want to say, at least the middle part of, what's his name's run? Um... Trying to remember his name, Nick Spencer, and I kind of like fell off. But there's been so much I've read, and like I never read the entirety. So I read, I wrote, only read Amazing Spider-Man. But now I'm going through, and I'm going through every single thing. You know? Oh wow! So, so like Peter, spectacular Peter mm -hmm. Parker, all that. I'm thrilled because wow. God bless uh, Marvel on Comicsology. They'll have like these big sales. Like there's a massive Marvel Masterworks sale, and as a Mar uh, Comicsology Unlimited uh, subscriber. I have the ability to get myself Marvel Masterworks for a dollar sixty nine a volume. It's magical. It really is magical. The time we live in. That's but now, cool. before we wrap this episode up, we had spoken off mic about this. You have a musical interlude for us. Am I correct? I could not get the "You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch" out of my head, and just. I, I sang it to nauseam to the point where I had to start mixing up the words and came up with a little uh, a little ditty hopefully people will get a kick out of. So, 
One, two, three. You're the kingpin, Mr. Fisk. You're rotten to the core. Your brain is full of devils. Your heart's a paint-chipped wall, Mr. Fisk. I wouldn't share an elevator with you in a building with 616 floors. You're a villain, Mr. Fisk, the king of New York crime. Your deeds are always thwarted by a lawyer who is blind, Mr. Fisk. Given the choice between the two of you, I'll bet on Daredevil every time. All right. <laughs> Tremendous. So hopefully I, you guys got a kick out of that and didn't turn it off. <laughs> I think that's a perfect note to end uh, 2021 on for The Marvelous this year. Because uh, uh, we, we're still going to be doing our uh, Patreon-exclusive episodes. But otherwise, I think this is a good bow to wrap 2021 on. Anyway, from myself and Eddie and... Everyone who has done the show, yourself included, Ryan, thank you all for a wonderful 2021. And we're looking forward. Fingers crossed it's a good one. Hopefully, you know, first off, everything that's going on in the world can get a lot better. And also we can get Eddie back from Latveria. Thank you, man. Uh, It was a pleasure being on here. I got to give a shout out real quick to uh, before I forget to my friend John who yelled at us. Uh, He loved listening to the episode. Uh, He absolutely loved uh, the Spider-Man one. And he said he was just mad at us for not bringing up the uh, evil Doctor Strange from What If making a cameo. But now the trailer is out. It's on YouTube. All the whole world knows. So um, (laughs) it was Marvel corrected our mistake for us. So now the whole world knows that What If is officially MCU movie canon. Well, I can talk about how my mom yelled at me for the fact that we didn't talk about the uh, redemption of, uh, what's his name? If you have not seen Spider-Man No Way Home, please turn it off, because we're about to talk about a major plot point in five, (laughs) four, three, two, one. The part where Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man, who is now, by the way, labeled by Marvel, I believe, as... they, they. they said, uh, and Toby is friendly neighborhood, correct? I guess, sure. Friend, friendly neighborhood. <laughs> Andrew is the amazing Spider-Man. The amazing okay. Spider-Man saves MJ as she falls and redeems himself for the passing of Gwen Stacy. And All right. My mom yelled at me, said, "Why the, why the f <laughs> didn't you talk about that?" And I was like, "Well, sorry, but." I felt yeah, I felt like we covered it generally with his redemption, but yes, we did not bring that specific part up, which was amazing. Um, and no pun that, that was a very cool moment. No pun intended. Just can't help it. That, those are the words I want to use when describing that movie. So, yeah. All righty. So once again, from the marvelous to everybody out there, have a very marvelous twenty twenty two. For The Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. He's always Eddie Wilson. And I'm Ryan Michael. Excelsior, true believers. Bye, guys.